Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the Crash Course in Cash Flowing Rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E, or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals, while you're at our website too. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. So today, Kenji and I are going to do our 2020 year in review, and we're going to share our top takeaways from each of our businesses. Now, for some of you who don't know, back in 2019, Kenji and I actually made one of the most important decisions I think that we've made, which was deciding that each of us was going to be CEO of a separate company. And we did that really to help with decision making. So I'm CEO of Semi-Retired MD, and Kenji is CEO of our real estate company. And so each of us has brought a couple of our top takeaways from our respective companies this year that we're going to share with each other and discuss. And we don't know each other, so this should be very interesting. So Kenji, why don't you start with telling us your number one for real estate? Okay, yeah. So I actually have three takeaways. Uh, the first one, and some of you may already know this story, but in the end of 2019, we were supposed to close on a 32 unit. And that had huge implications for our taxes. And the seller essentially didn't show up for the signing uh, on December 31st. So we didn't close in 2019, which was a really, really big deal. So ultimately, uh, it ended up taking almost four months to close on that property after going back and forth with the seller, getting lawyers involved. Um, but I think the the biggest takeaway for me uh, on that one is, you know, something that we learned at Tony Robbins, which is, you know, to really kind of shift your thinking from, you know, life's happening to me to asking yourself, how is life happening for me? And and that was really kind of, uh, I think, uh, something that we kept asking ourselves, like, how is this situation happening for us? It was, you know, a bad situation in terms of our taxes and, you know, had huge implications for us. But in the end, what was amazing about that was actually, I I really do think that life happened for us. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the end, the deal actually ended up being better priced for us. We didn't have to pay for a bridge loan. Um, There were a number of things that went really better in terms of actual, actually the money, but it also allowed us a lot of opportunity for growth, which is far more valuable, I think, than the money we ended up saving. Even if we hadn't saved extra money, the challenge of it, the amount of growth we had to overcome, the amount of 
interactions we had to manage our own minds was such a cool learning experience for us. And so I think the value, even if the money part hadn't worked out better, was actually there. Yeah, I agree. I think for most people in the situation, they'd be pretty stressed for like four months. But I don't think that uh, we felt a lot of that, right? I think there were some moments here and there that were more stressful. But overall, I think that, yeah, we, we really controlled our mindsets throughout. Tony talks about being in a beautiful state. I think for a lot of it, we really were in a beautiful state. Really, actually, one of the things that we tried to do was think about it from the perspective of the seller, right? And to kind of think about the suffering that the seller is going through and really empathize, right? And that that actually took away our suffering, right? Took away our frustration and actually we empathize and actually we, we, I think we were in a beautiful state for a lot of it, which is, which is a real, real big thing. I know a lot of people are going through a lot of difficult things and, you know, the question is like, can you turn that around and be in a beautiful state, even though you're going through a really tough time? Yeah. I think the other thing that came out of that is just our team, right? And having such a great team of friends and lawyers who really supported us through the experience. These are not people we had necessarily leaned on before. And we really got to see them in their zone of brilliance, per se. And it was very cool to see our friends, who are also our lawyers, step up and, and you know, be there in our corner for us. So I think that was another really great positive thing out of the experience. Yeah, and then the other thing that uh, life happening for us was actually COVID and the CARES Act. With the CARES Act, there's a new provision in there that talks about if you have excess losses, you can actually carry that back and, and shelter past income. And so what that would have done is that that with that, even though it, it ended up we didn't have to do that, it was still this new CARES Act actually created a situation where we would have been able to shelter the taxes anyway. Right. And that that provision was only for 2020. So right. not relevant right now, but it, it definitely would have affected if we had had any taxes we had to pay in 2019 because of all of this, we wouldn't have. It was a completely moot point right. <laughs> any, in the end anyway. Yeah. So that, that was kind of like the first one, right, was kind of how was life happening for me? And so we talked about that. Um, I think the second one is really about COVID and thinking about how we've set up our investments, you know, we really focused on a lot of our investments on multifamily. We do have short-term rental. We have some properties in a program called Supported Living, where we provide housing for people with intellectual disabilities. Uh, we also have a mixed-use building, but really- And we have two single-family homes too. That's right. Yeah. But really, like one of the lessons I think was, and one of the reminders is that how great of an asset class multifamily is. And I think a lot of people assume that multifamily really suffered during COVID, you know, with tenants not paying and those types of things. You heard a lot of the stories in the news. But in reality, I think overall, when you look at the even the macro data, as well as our personal experience, most tenants were paying through COVID and actually compared to a lot of other asset classes like retail or office, hotels, I mean, those industries really suffered during COVID. But luckily, and, and again, I think this is a testament to how great an asset class multifamily is, you know, our multifamilies largely did well through this. Yeah, people always needed a place to live. And I think right now the stock market is still doing well. But is that going to be the case for the next year? You know, I highly doubt it. We'll see where we are next year. But 
But multifamily, I agree. I completely love. It's a tangible class that you can actually touch. You own a property, and that is a property that people always, you will always have customers. And I, I love that about multifamily real estate. So totally agree. Yeah, and then even looking at you know a multifamily property I owned during the last downturn and the performance of multifamily in general during that last downturn in 2007 and 2008, you know, multifamily, again, did really well during that last downturn. So... So I think that was kind of number two was the big takeaway was watching how our portfolio performed during all that all that chaos of, of COVID. Yeah, I actually want to add one more thing to that, which is the cash flow part, right? Is if we had been fully reliant on our salaries, you know, as physicians, I remember when they were talking very early on in COVID that they were going to take all of our bonuses away and like how that would affect you if you were in that situation, which a lot of our students were and how great it is just mentally to always always have that backup cash flow coming in, what a big difference it makes. You yeah, know? I mean, absolutely. It's the number one reason why students take our courses. They wanted to have an alternative income stream when they were furloughed and when they were you know, not seeing uh, any patients in clinic or doing elective surgeries. You know, they realized, I can't rely on this, this salary anymore, so I need a kind of a backup income stream. So really valuable. So uh, the third takeaway from the year was that uh, we had entered into a partnership, and this was the first partnership that we've done in many, many years. I had actually uh, been in partnership uh, with one of my close friends, and that partnership didn't turn out so well. You know, and since then, you know, Leite and I have uh, kind of worked on a couple businesses, and and those kind of partnerships also were a little bit rocky. So I think we had this limiting belief about partnerships that, uh, you know, it's better just to avoid them, right? And just better to just do things on your own. But, you know, we realized last year that that this was a limiting belief and that we had to just take that on, right? And so we entered into partnership with actually one of our students. Yeah, that's been a really phenomenal experience. And also, it's really prompted us to learn a lot more about partnership structure in real estate. And then the other really incredible thing is I think in our membership site, Empire Builders, we were able to do a whole partnership month where we brought a lawyer in and talked about how to structure partnerships. So when, you know, challenges arise within it, you know, with different outcomes or different different people wanting to do different things, you actually have it laid out in your contract. And so I think that was a really another really great result of us entering into a partnership is it gave us the opportunity to be able to introduce all these concepts to our students who many of whom are actually entering in partnerships with each other in building their portfolios. Yeah, it's definitely one of the uh, more common questions in our course is people asking about partnerships and actually people even teaming up within either Empire Builders or within the course where people kind of say, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of capital, but I have a lot of time to kind of put into this. So anybody want to partner, right? So I think it presents a lot of great opportunities. And I think the real key takeaway from, from this is that partnerships can be good. Again, counteracting our limiting belief about partnerships, partnerships can be good, but you got to make sure that you structure it right, that you think about what Keith Cunningham says, the second order consequences, right? And for those who don't know what second order consequences are, it's, you know, you need to think about not just the upside, which is really easy to think about. But you also need to think about the downsides. And then also, can you live with the downsides? And then if you have downsides, what's the backup plan, right? What is your plan for addressing that downside? And so that all comes into play where, you know, when you set up the partnership agreement, you really want to think about what are all the things that could happen that could go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember having a conversation with our partners 
And they were like, oh, we're not going to have any disagreements. And I remember saying to them, like, no, when we go into this partnership, we have to assume that we are going to have disagreements. And so the question is, when we have a disagreement, I didn't say if, I said when we have a disagreement, how do you want to deal with that, right? How are we going to address that disagreement? If we are going to go our separate ways, right, how do we structure it so we don't have to essentially be forced to sell the property in order to get out of it. How can we structure it in a way where one of us can leave if we want to? Or how can we structure it in a way where a disagreement doesn't end up in a lawsuit? Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy when you think about how many of us enter partnerships not thinking there's going to be a disagreement. Like even within marriage, there are all kinds of disagreements. It's just a natural part of spending so much time with somebody and trying to accomplish something big. There will be areas where you see things differently. You have different perspectives and it's a natural part of the process. It's not naturally anything you even need to fear. I know we were talking just in semi-retired in our team meeting this last week about how important conflict is to actually have people be able to say their opinions and to disagree and to be able to passionately disagree to make the company move forward. And the same can be said of real estate, you know, building your real estate portfolio with a partner is you actually want to make space for there to be disagreements so both sides' perspectives can be heard and you get a more rounded view of what's actually going on and it makes you stronger because of it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that is definitely one of the power of partnerships that I think you have. Instead of one person thinking inside of a vacuum, you know, you have multiple heads, right? Thinking about it. It's always, I think for us, it's been okay because we have each other, right? We were always kind of problem solving and thinking about the downsides together and reminding each other, hey, we need to think about the downsides. But for people who are out there investing alone, right, you don't have to do this alone, right? You can do it in a partnership, but also you can also surround yourself with the right people, the right community, the right mentors, and that's another way to do it. But absolutely, a partnership gives you that built-in person to kind of problem solve with uh, and really elevate the thinking so that you are thinking about the downsides. I did want to kind of give one very, very tangible example of something that I got into trouble with with my previous partnership, which was that when it came to a capital call, Right. And people don't think about this. Like people always think about it as like, okay, uh, this is going to cash flow this much and I'm going to get half. My partner's going to get half. Right. But what if there's some unexpected repair? Right. And then there's a capital call, which means that if there's a $50,000 repair and you're 50 50 with your partner, each of you has to come up with $25,000. What if your partner doesn't have that money? Right. And so this is the type of downside that you want to think through. And so what we did in our agreement, for example, is that if that situation arises, we built in uh, the ability for one partner to loan the other partner money, but at a very high interest rate, actually at an 18% interest rate. So you're really discouraged from number one, borrowing, right? You, You enter into it, making sure that you do have the reserves. And number two, if you do borrow, you're highly incentivized to pay that back quickly, right? And so that's why we set it at a very, very high level. You know, in my previous partnership, you know, my, my friend didn't pay me back for like eight years, right? And so that that's that was one of the lessons learned. And so just for those those that are listening, you can learn from my mistake so you don't make the mistake yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. This episode is brought to you by Keystone CPA. Are you tired of losing your hard-earned money to taxes each and every year? The truth is that tax savings are not just for the super wealthy. As a real estate investor, you too can take advantage of all the tax saving strategies that are available to help you protect your hard earned money. 
Top-selling authors and tax strategists Amanda Hahn and Matt McFarland specialize in tax-saving strategies, especially for real estate investors. Be sure to download the top 10 tax-saving strategies for real estate investors audio today to learn steps that you can take to start saving on taxes and supercharge your pathway to financial freedom. Check out Keystone and their services at keystonecpa.com today. Be sure to download their free audio. It's normally valued at $25 by following this link, www.keystonecpa.com SRMD. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-C-P-A.com SRMD. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semi-retiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. All right. So I, that, those are my takeaways. So let's shift over to the semi-retired business, uh, Leite. Tell us what the uh, what are your, your top takeaways from uh, the semi-retired business in 2020? Yeah, my number one is that the job of the CEO is to communicate and inspire people with your why. And, you know, I we talk about this a lot in our real estate course. So it's it's super relevant to real estate as well, because you are the CEO of your real estate business when you own properties. And so communicating your why of what you see your vision of your business to everyone around you, even as just a simple real estate investor is so, so, so important. So a lot of this learning comes from Keith Cunningham, and then also I um, read Start With Why by Simon Sinek that really helped me think through this. But basically, your why is the reason for why you're doing your business. And as a CEO of a business like Semi-Retired MD, you know, we have such a clear mission, which is to help as many doctors achieve financial freedom and like free themselves to dream again. And not only to dream of the lives they want, but actually to have a way to to go get that dream and actually achieve it through buying real estate, through creating this source of income that then changes our lives. And that has been, you know, the most fulfilling thing for us in Semi-Retired MD the last couple of years is to watch people start to dream, start to trust that they can dream, and then to go out and do it and to achieve so much that maybe they didn't even expect. I mean, we now have students who have who have gone and bought like five, six, seven properties in a year. We have students who have gone out and, you know, bought 10 or 20 or even up to 60 units in a year, right? And to watch them be able to like take pride in their success has been so beautiful. But everyone on my team you know, we've taken our team this year from one like part-time person is what we had at the beginning of last year. We have now there are 12 full-time people working on this company with us. So in a year, we've taken it up that much. But my job as CEO, I realized my number one most important thing I can do is communicate to every single team member like 
why this company exists, why it's so important to help all these physicians, to communicate the pain that the physicians feel and to show them on the daily basis, like the stories that we see in our Facebook communities of people totally changing their lives and like freeing themselves. Like that is my most important job. And this year really showed me how much the why like is central to what I do in leadership. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the why really ties into the culture of a company. And, you know, one of the things Keith says that we love is that, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, ultimately, if you don't have good culture, it doesn't matter how great your strategy is, you're going to have a lot of trouble building that business. And Keith, literally, he'll go into these companies and all he does is he changes the culture and he'll turn companies around, right? And so that just shows you the importance of culture. And when you start to build an organization, which is what we're doing, you know, when you're small, you have one or two people, maybe part-time working for you, you know, maybe strategy is more important in that situation, but you're pretty much doing it yourself. You are the, you are the culture of the company, right? But when you start to get up to, you know, over 10 people, then you, then you have an organization, you really have to start thinking about culture and establishing the right culture and making sure that people buy into your mission, right? And make sure that everybody is there for the right reason. Uh, and so not, not in it for themselves, but in it for, you know, the mission, the culture of the company, and whatever our goals are, right? And so, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a great, that's a great lesson for the year. Yeah, and you're talking about culture. And actually, that I think really ties into number two, which is team building is not hard. (laughs) And this is a limiting belief that both Mm -hmm. of us shared that we've, I think, overcome this year, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting, because if you asked us if team building was hard about semi-retired last year, we would have said yes. But if you asked us if real estate team building was hard, we would have said no. We would have said no. There are property managers. There are contractors. This is how you do it. We had done it before. We had a plan. We had seen it work. So it wasn't, quote unquote, hard in our minds. But building a company like semi-retired's team, for some reason, we had this like limiting belief or or challenge around it. And what I realized, again, to go back to the why, is if this the leadership has a strong vision of where you are going and why you're doing this, like people will want to jump in and be on your team. Like like it's not a matter of of even going out and like having to convince people to join. Like people want to join your movement. It's it's really a movement. And so I think that again, I can tie this back to real estate is like you are the CEO of your real estate business when you own a couple properties. You have a vision of where you're taking that real estate business. Like you can communicate that to your agent. You know, you can say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to start with a duplex right now, but this year I'm going to get up to 10 units." And you put that vision in their mind and they're like, man, this person's motivated. They have a clear goal. They're going for it. They know they're going to do it this year. I'm getting behind this person. I'm going to help them achieve their goal. I'm going to bring them all these deals. And they are super motivated. Now you've just passed your why, your goals onto members of your team and they get behind you and they help you. And so I think, again, this is certainly about semi-retired MD, but I really think it goes into the real estate portfolio as well. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I never actually really thought about it that way, but all these lessons you're talking about, about team building, really do apply to, you know, the real estate business that I'm in charge of. And, you know, I can think of the why, right? One why would be, 
you know, to provide the best living conditions for our tenants, right? Mm-hmm. That, w- that could be a very, very strong why, not just for me, but for all the members of our team. And basically, I know I know that you're an independent contractor of mine, and because that's, you know, a lot of the people that, that I do work with are independent contractors, your handyman or your contractor or your property manager, but they can still kind of buy into you know, my, my why, uh, and the mission. And basically if, if you don't share that, then I'm going to go find somebody else. Right. And that's how you know how to weed out people who don't fit into your team, right? If this property manager is not taking good care of your tenants, if they're not giving them good service, they're not somebody you want on your team because they're not representing your why, which is I want to make a great living situation for my tenants. And I think there are a lot of our students who come into the course who are very motivated about, you know, taking places that are beat up, like rundown buildings and making them a great home for people. And there are some of our students that I can think of too, who are also like environmentally friendly, right? That's one of their motivations is like making like more efficient um, green environments out there in apartment buildings. So there are like a lot of different motivations that we each can bring as our strong why. Um, And besides even just, you know, obviously a lot of people, it's for helping their families, their own personal families. And creating wealth for their kids and teaching their kids, right? All those things, they motivate you to get through challenges, yes, but they also can help you attract the right members of your team if you articulate them and you live them every day. Yeah, absolutely. So my third one was sometimes things will happen that are kind of outside of your control. And I think this was kind of ties into your first thing with our 32 unit. Um, And in the case of semi-retired MD, like the things that happen outside of our control is just COVID, right? It totally, you know, affected our company, right? And that's just an environmental change. And there's nothing you can control about that. But what you can control is how you handle it, right? And this is about being resourceful, right? And having and and not just giving up and saying, well, this is the way it is. Like I'm just gonna accept that. Um, and in in our case, actually, I think COVID like actually probably brought us more students this year. But at the same time, the environment did affect our last sales. So you know, it's a both an up and down. And I think the key point is. Things will happen outside of your control, but you always have the opportunity to be able to pivot, to look for ways to grow out of it, to come out stronger, and to, you know, yes, it may not work out better in the end, but like you personally can come out a better person because of it. Yeah, the thing I think about is something, again, Tony Robbins says, which is if you don't achieve a result, it's not because of a lack of resources, it's because of a lack of resourcefulness. And so that's just something that I keep reminding myself of when these external things happen that make you immediately go, you know, oh, you know, crap, you know, and so, uh, but, but again, it's just, okay, well, then how can I leverage the situation? How can I turn the situation around? You know, what can I do? What can I control to make this situation better? Or what can I do to be better? Yeah, be better. That's right. right. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, exactly. Be better. So, um, so yeah, so that's one that, you know, again, a lot of these things that uh, we talk about are things that we are constantly reminding ourselves of, right? Asking ourselves, okay, how is life happening for me in this situation? How can I be more resourceful, right? And if you notice the types of questions we're asking, we're actually asking how can I questions. A lot of people lead with I can't, right? Uh, I can't sell in this COVID environment, right? But the question is how can I, right? And so I think that's a really, really important shift that we 
try to remind each other of it. It's not perfect all the time, and we don't always do it there, do it great. But again, that, that at least we have these tools that we can lean on. And that's what this really is about, is we're sharing this because we want to provide you with the tools to be able to shift in your mind and go, okay, go from an I can't to how can I, and, and then become more resourceful. And then also view the situation as life happening for you instead of to you. Yeah, I think what's so beautiful about the semi-retired MD business is that so many of the learning points from it are completely relevant to somebody building their real estate portfolio because that's also a business. And when I think through like what some of our students have gone through in the last year, the the different challenges they have, how they were able to be resourceful, to pivot um, just within their real estate portfolio, do things slightly differently. It's really gratifying to watch people take these concepts and, and, you know, in so many different situations, be able to put them into practice and, and change the outcome a lot of times of, of what's going on, or at the very least come out saying, you know what I learned, that was a tough thing, but I learned and I grew and I came out stronger and it is what it is. Let me move on to the next and not just get stuck and quit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I did want to kind of mention that we talked about Keith Cunningham, and uh, we actually have a podcast episode that you can listen to where we go over the lessons from Rich Dad, uh, because he is actually the real Rich Dad from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, he's the one who taught Robert Kiyosaki, and, and now we're learning from him in a mastermind. It's been really amazing. So be sure to catch that episode. Also, uh, we're actually doing a year in review of our real estate portfolio. It's a three-part series. So be sure to kind of check that out. Uh, we actually talk about all the properties that we sold, but also in detail talk about all the properties we purchased in 2020. And we actually more than doubled our portfolio in 2020. So it was a really, really big year for us. Again, despite COVID and everything that was going on, it was an election year. Despite all these things, we, you know, we went, went out and achieved our goals. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on our blog. And then lastly, I did mention the book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And I think that was an incredible book that I read this year and would highly encourage all of you to read it as well. Okay, well, that's the end of this podcast. And we're, again, really grateful for you to join us. Please subscribe to our podcast and give us a review if you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next week. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.